Maman Brigitte, with her eyes wide from darkness, shifts her gaze upon the true. There is much to be seen in the magic when your ancestors bleed black and blue. Maman Brigitte speaks silence from the deep beyond. We best heed these strong words from the grave, because only knows what can happen when we don't know how to behave. Maman Brigitte opens wide by Lilith Dorsey. Hello everyone, welcome to the Feast of Torches. I'm your host Azazel, and we are joined here today with our wonderful guest, Lilith. Would you like to introduce yourself so they can get to know who you are a bit? Oh, sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, first of all. This is an honor and I'm sure it's going to be a joy talking to you today. But I am a voodoo priestess and an author and an anthropologist and a dancer and a filmmaker. I do lots of different things, but they all sort of revolve and go in and out of voodoo. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, well, that's definitely a lot of different jobs and hobbies to keep up with. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then I had, you know, mundane jobs as well, because all of those jobs don't necessarily <laughs> pay everything. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to do something to pay the bills, right? Sure, definitely. So how long have you um, been involved in voodoo? Was it something that you grew up with or did you seek it out independently? My family taught me a lot of things that I think now I know was hoodoo or folk magic, you know, just practical things about this is how you stir things when you're in the kitchen and this is what you do on New Year's Eve and this is what you do on these other days. But I never thought of it as being magical, but I did always, you know, knew that I had some sort of connection and I could tell that if I did what I thought was spells when I was five or six or seven, lots of times things actually happened. So that piqued my curiosity. But I didn't join formalized voodoo study until probably I was I was grown. I was at least 20. My daughter, oldest daughter was already born. And that's when I met my first voodoo priestess, Priestess Miriam from the Voodoo Spiritual Temple here in New Orleans. Oh, cool. So you're so you're saying you're like your family was like loosely involved more in like hoodoo, not necessarily voodoo in particular? They had a lot of folk magic practices. And then I had um, a blessing for one of my aunties, my father's sister, and sh she was eating the food we had at the feast. And she was like, your great grandmother used to make this at the feast and do this at the feast. So I think like a lot of people my age that... Black people from a certain era just didn't talk about those kinds of things, yeah. you know. And, uh, well, people of all races really, you know, didn't talk about it as openly as they do today. That's definitely something I've seen change in the past 10 years or so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've spoken a little bit about this on uh, a previous episode, but um, my grandmother, who's not really my grandmother, um, she's practiced a lot of, like, it's not Santeria, but it's very similar to that. Mm -hmm. Um that was going on in, in the Dominican Republic. And so like my mom's side of the family, sort of like this weird tangent of the family, like they would all do like the, you know, the, the big like parties where 
like downstairs of the ritual is essentially happening. There's drumming going on. There's like invocations happening. And then upstairs, the family's just like having a blast. But that was my only like kind of experience with that. But yeah, it would definitely amongst the rest of the family was not talked about like whatsoever. No, it really was. And I know a lot of people who have a very similar story to you. They didn't know, you know, until some of these people were on their deathbed, actually, what was really happening, you know, and they could talk about it openly, which is sad, you know, but but when my daughter was little, like I said, when I first started, she's 30 now. But when I first started, there was many people I knew who got investigated and things like that for for doing any kinds of spiritual practices, because it must be bad to have that around the children and stuff. It was horrible horrible yeah i definitely remember even on like tv you know they would be having either little documentaries or episodes on like law and order svu or somebody would essentially be doing like voodoo somewhere and it would they would they would be getting persecuted still to this day for doing it because it was out of the norm of the typical everyday um like christianity right so you practice specifically like New Orleans voodoo? Because I think there's there's a difference between New Orleans voodoo and Haitian voodoo, correct? Yes, yes. I started out in New Orleans voodoo and I still practice New Orleans voodoo. I have my own New Orleans voodoo style house and we have feasts and initiations and rituals and I have lots of godchildren in the tradition who study with me. So that's nice. But over the years, I also um, had beginning initiations in Haitian voodoo from a girl mambo named Bonnie Devlin, who a lot of people know because she was a master drummer. She used to drum with Ola Tunji. She was also a Harvard-trained minister, and that's how I met her. She was teaching oh, cool. at a UU church. It was great. We used to have Sunday service, and she would take out the drums, and I would dance. And Sunday, that was nothing like the Sunday service that the Unitarians <laughs> were used to, but it was a lot of fun. I bet. It was a that lot. That sounds awesome. Was it was. Time. It was great. She she recently passed just before COVID, but she was a wonderful woman. She did a lot of work with, you know, physically and mentally disabled children using the drum and music as a therapy, you know, some of these sacred Haitian mm-hmm. rhythms and stuff to heal. And, and, and she was fantastic. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then I also went on and I had beginning initiations as well in La Regla Lacumi, which most people call Santeria. So, um, Okay. My aliques and my warriors and, and all those good things like that. So, um, again, it wasn't really that I was like, oh, let's go initiate in a lot of different traditions. It was really just, mm-hmm. as I said, there were situations in my life where I had issues and, and I was friends with these people who practiced these traditions. And, you know, I would go for a reading and they'd say, oh, you need to do this to get justice or you need to do this in order to get your life back on track. And, and that's just sort of how it happened. Now, do you feel that there's um, a big difference between voodoo and Lukumi or, or Santeria? I do. I do. I mean, New Orleans is kind of different because, especially mm-hmm. since my temple that I started in, we had two Santeros that were there as drummers. So you could see how that there's commonality between the rhythms, there's commonality between mm-hmm. the practices. And I think for us, it really did become more of a spiritual gumbo of practices while there are definitely mm-hmm. spiritual houses in the city that are very strict Haitian voodoo. And then there's ones that are more hoodoo. And then there's ones that come out of the tradition of the city. And then there's ones that are complete blends. So yeah, but yes, there, there are big differences, I think just in the practices and in some of the rules as well. You know, that's why I wrote mm-hmm. my first book 
on Voodoo, which was just re-released because I wanted people to understand, oh, maybe I'm in a Haitian Voodoo house. What am I going to experience if I go to a Santo house, if I go to a Bembe, if I go to a Misa, what's going to happen? And, and I think that that's yeah. something that was important for me to write at the time and even more important now because people just lump them together. It's like, you know, Africa's one country, yeah. the religions are just one thing, <laughs> you know, and they're not. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I have a very loose knowledge of of the different uh, ATRs, and I try to learn more, you know, here and there. Uh, most of my exposure has been with, um, like, Santeria and um, similar traditions of that nature. Uh, I haven't really been that exposed to voodoo, to be 100% honest with you, and I'm so excited to be, you know, talking to you about it and, and learning as much as I can from you, because I think it definitely does get lumped together with everything and and just because that you know every they all originated in one place that they're all super it's similar true. with each other it's and true I, I but I, to I, an extent but yeah <laughs> i was gonna say yeah they did <laughs> to an extent but they also did you know it was slightly different you know if we look at the slaves that were mm -hmm. taken from africa and brought to haiti a lot of them came from benin and if we look at the ones that were brought to cuba or puerto rico mm -hmm. a lot of them were yoruba people from what is now nigeria you know so it and then there were different indigenous people in those lands when they got there you know so there was definitely a lot yeah. of incorporating of those things because those people were living together and working together and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like, well, not, not which one you find like most beautiful, but like, which one do you feel like has, I guess, inspired you the most throughout the different traditions that has, I don't know. It's kind of like apples and oranges almost, you know, like mm -hmm. when people ask me to compare them, I'm like, it's the difference between this person over here speaking Spanish and this person speaking Creole, you know, there's, they're both yeah. wonderful languages. I don't necessarily, for me, I kind of, they have different functionalities almost for me, yeah. you know, because my exposure with Santo was very solution oriented. You know, it was, I would go and get readings mm -hmm. or, or go and be trying to seek solutions to situations that I had. And whereas my exposure to New Orleans voodoo was just sort of more, of a family type thing, just because of the relationships that I have, you know, having a godmother here in New Orleans, I moved here to be closer to her. And mm -hmm. actually I have one of my godchildren here visiting me now from over a thousand miles away and three more coming this week. So oh, wow. it really is like a family. We're going to have a full house of spiritual goings on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And do they all, so they're, they're coming from, uh, you're the one that you started. Yes, with, uh, yes. I knew started. I moved at the beginning of the pandemic from Brooklyn. I'm a Brooklyn born and raised. Mm -hmm. So I Oh wow. Oh, loves Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we used to be in Brooklyn. So they're all coming from the, you know, extended New York area down to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. That's pretty nice. Is the I guess is the, not the the voodoo scene, so to speak. Is that big in New York? It's getting bigger. I mean, there are a lot of uh, Haitian houses that are definitely mm -hmm. doing more. And like I said before, things are becoming more open. I used to work. I didn't put this on my list of things I do. I, I used to be a community reporter <laughs> for a Haitian newspaper. I'm not Haitian. I told them that when I first started. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> Haitian and I don't really speak Creole. And they're like, that's fine. You know, so but <laughs> I could tell just in the year or so that I did that, which was a while back now, but the attitudes were changing. You know what I mean? That the same thing we were talking about earlier. 
older people being scared to talk about their religion or being worried about misconceptions or stereotypes or things like that. And I think yeah. we've certainly seen some artists. I have a good friend, Riva Neri Presil, who is a musician and a dancer and she had a Fet Gay Day, uh, which is basically like a ceremony, a party for the Gay Day in Brooklyn before, just before the pandemic in October. And it was covered by the New York Times. So I'm just like, wow, oh, I never wow. thought I would live to see the day that we could have something like that, that was an open celebration of Vodou spirituality mm-hmm. and that the New York Times would cover it. Yeah, that's amazing. I, 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 I didn't know that, that, that they did that, Yeah, but that's beautiful. So you were saying that, you know, you have different, uh, there's different houses in traditions and there's different in lineages and, and in, um, I guess, initiations through those. Do, are, are they very like close with interacting with each other? Because I know like, based, I mean, my most of my experience comes from Wicca or traditional Wicca. And so, you know, you obviously have different covens and the different uh, main traditions within British traditional Wicca. And... I wonder, is that like a similarity between that? I don't know if you know I do. Much about I per do. I, you know, I'm friends with Janet Fowler and, and you know, some of the other BTW people. Mm-hmm. I think it's, this is going to sound hard for anybody who's in those traditions to actually believe, but I think they're actually less friendly than some of the different branches of traditional Wicca because. Oh, no. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. It's. Oh, you mean they're less friendly between each other? The voodoo is then? No, I think voodoo's less friendly than BTW is to each other because I know there do, people do get very oh, wow. drama filled. I guess is what I want to say. You know, I mean, especially if you're participating in it on a regular basis, and and I think mm-hmm. voodoo's the same way. It always has been. I was giving a lecture yesterday about Marie Laveau and how she used to go to the house of her rivals and you know steal the statues out of the front room and punch people in the face. So, you know, I, I think it's always been like that. There's it's competition for resources, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's no one governing body. You know, I, I think even yeah. to some extent there is, you know, people and again, I've been around a, a little while, but people have different versions of the history when it comes to witchcraft and Wicca, but, you know, there's really only maybe at most five accepted narratives where in Vodou or New Orleans Vodou, there's probably as many accepted narratives as there are individual, you know, groups practicing because they all have their own narrative and. Yeah. And they all have their own. Yeah. And there's no one right one, you know, it's not like you can Mm -hmm. say, Oh, what they do over here is right. And what they do over here is wrong. People try, but I always liken it to recipes. You know what I mean? If you have a recipe for something that was passed down by your great grandmother, that's the right way for you to make it. And if I have one that was passed down by my great grandmother, that's the right way for me to make that recipe. That's just what it is. It's not that one is wrong and the other one is right. It is for that individual. They can both be delicious and you can share it amongst each other. And yeah, that's what I think. That's what I think. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the current, I guess, climate, because I know this has happened a lot within um, like the witchcraft spaces. And I don't I don't know how much this has happened in, in the ATR spaces, but I do see a lot of people trying to, you know, connect more with their ancestors and, you know, however that may work out depending on the person. Um, but do you feel like within the past maybe five, 10 years that a lot of people have been, you know, I guess, leaving Christianity a bit and getting more in touch with 
a lot of the um, ATRs? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I even have godchildrens that consider themselves Christians and also practice voodoo. Marie Laveau was a mm-hmm. devout Catholic. So I, th- I think there's a way in which both can coexist. Um, a lot of people in Haiti mm-hmm. are also Catholic. I just lost a dear friend who was, you know, he, he studied in seminary for years, but he was also a voodoo priest. So I think there's oh, wow. ways that devotion can, you know, coexist, which is hard for people to fathom. Yeah. But again, I, I think it's more like mm-hmm. you have different things for different things. You know, on Saturday night, you would go out and you'd have ritual and you'd drum and dance. And then on Sunday morning, you'd go to church. So I, I don't think they're against each other necessarily. And I think yeah. that, again, I was given a workshop yesterday and I was talking about how the Pope went to visit the shrine of Caridad del Cobre in Cuba when not this current pope the one before when they were there a few years Mm -hmm. ago and a lot of people were saying they were trying to steal santeria's you know like magical powers and stuff and then some people really thought that the pope was just trying to be more accepting of other traditions so we may never know but i think it's possible and it's certainly happening way more now than it did you're right you know 10 years ago yeah i know because i know we have like i guess in our in our spaces um there is a lot of issues with like misinformation getting out and people like claiming lineages that don't have lineages. How often does that happen in voodoo? Oh, all the time. Where people <laughs> pretend to be initiated. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can all imagine. All the time, you know, because we don't have a clearinghouse. They have more of a clearinghouse yeah. in Brazil, in Candomblé. They actually have, you know, organizations that keep records and things like that. But here, especially here in the U.S., it's really just, you know, you have to take somebody on their word or you have to find somebody who knows something about that organization and what they've done. And there's a lot Mm. of bad apples and people who take advantage of people. You know, we've seen that also in the witchcraft community. So I think there's been some Mm. sort, for me anyway, it's just gives me extra reason to keep doing what I'm doing because I don't want somebody to be out there searching for voodoo and not be able to find someone who wasn't going to take advantage of them, someone who wasn't going to lie to them or be yeah. dishonest or something like that. Yeah, I definitely think that, that that's why it's it's important for um, people to you know be more out there, be more approachable, so, right. uh, so to speak. Like you know, if the more information that is out there you know, the more knowledge people have. And I feel like as we expose ourselves a little bit more, you know, as much as we can, I think the, some of the misconceptions and the misinformation can get dwindled down a little bit. I think it's, it's good that a lot more people are being vocal about their traditions and not just leaving everybody to, you know, the books that you find at Barnes and Noble. No. And I think those have changed too in the past, you know, 15, 20 years, there were always, Mm-hmm. people that were you know good authors and respected authors and then there were people that were kind of crap but i think the crap is is definitely yeah. more now than it was just by sheer volume oh, you know yeah yeah i mean it's so easy to write a mm-hmm. book now that like literally anybody can do it and it doesn't get proof oh, it yeah, doesn't get definitely. there's no authority to you know say hey this is okay you can put this out there right so it's it's going to become a mess especially like with you know with with Amazon and, you know, literally anybody can publish sure. a book. You don't have to go through a publisher anymore. So I can imagine the the craze that that's making now. Definitely, definitely. 
And there's more, there's more events too. You know what I mean? I was thinking, you know, it used to be 20 years ago. Oh, someone was speaking at an event, but I've had a lot of event coordinators tell me they don't have time to vet the presenters or, well, this person, you know, spoke at this other thing, so they must be okay. And it just makes me sad. Yeah. They're, they're, they get okayed Mm -hmm. by association. Yeah. I mean, definitely, that definitely happens within a Wicca too, as well. You always got to be careful where, who, you know, who you're talking to, the information, where you're, where you're even getting that information from, because it could also be that, you know, the person who's like, hey, you know, this group, they're they're legit or whatever, as far as they know that they're legit, and they're both, you're both being duped. Right, right. So let's get into a little bit more of the, I guess, a little bit of the nitty gritty in voodoo, because I've always wondered, like, as I've always heard the terms like orishas and loa, and I'm not really sure, are there, is there a difference between the two? Is it just like two different names from different traditions yeah i mean you have orisha in santo or la regla lakumi and mm-hmm. Inifa, and you have loa in haitian vodou in new orleans like i said our, our temple specifically we do honor both of them for, for the mm. reasons that i mentioned and then also because i do have a lot of god children that are also in santo so it's again it's like how could i leave mm-hmm. hard them outside when we're having a ceremony so yeah. we try and you know, at least honor them in a minimal way when we're having a ceremony, because that's who that is attending our parties, attending our feasts, attending our ceremonies, at least spiritually on some level. But Arisha breaks down to two words, Ori, which means head and Shah, which is like the root word of Ashe, which is our universal life force, our energy, our spiritual Mm -hmm. kind of just, it's in all things Ashe. So when you talk about Orisha, that's the energy of your head. So each of these, they're not even really divinities. They're more forces in the universe. They own Mm -hmm. somebody's head and and through divination, you figure out which one owns your head. It's not necessarily the one you want. You have to have three Babalawos do it and a ceremony has to happen and all these things. But then you can find out Mm -hmm. which one and that sort of guides you and it guides your character. So then you know what things you should eat to stay healthy. You know what ceremonies you should do to stay, you know, successful and and live your best life. And you know what not to do also at that point. So it's comforting. It it is. So once you essentially are dedicated to that one spirit, you don't go between other ones or or it's always just that one spirit for, for the rest of your um Well, your there's one ceremony to find out which one it is. And then there's another one to sort of, it depends, the, the language is shifty because it goes back and forth between Spanish and Yoruba. Yeah. But sometimes it's called an asiento and sometimes it's called an asentado. So it's like literally a seating of that Orisha on your head so it can't change anymore. Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. and then you become a Santero, a Santera, and then that doesn't change unless you become a Babalawo, which then they're all owned by Arunla. I know it's complicated. <laughs> I mean, the intricacies are, are, you know, they're fascinating. And I, I'm not sure if I'll ever, you know, look more into like Santeria because it, it is in mm-hmm. my family. Um, but for now, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the witchcraft. Okay. <laughs> Um, do you find that there that there's a difference, or not? not obviously, there's a difference. Um, but like magic wise, do you like what, what would you say would be the differences between witchcraft and um, something like voodoo or something a santeria? Do you consider that to be a type of witchcraft, or is it just 
um, there are just different variations of how to practice magic. I mean, I think it's all magic. I mean, I would could even probably make an yeah. argument that some of the even larger religions were very magical, you know. Yeah. Buddhism, Catholicism, there's magic elements, you know, and it's it's hard to say whether or not they stole them from indigenous traditions or it just was something that got incorporated or just people like incense, you know. I mean, but mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, I think that like I said, I like, I kind of utilize them for different things in a way. And the practices are different. Witches can come together for Sabbaths or things like that. But for us, there mm-hmm. are feast days, which are usually based on Catholic feast days, because that's when they were allowed to celebrate. So they sort of aligned yeah. it with the Orisha or the Loa that they thought was most like the different saints or had the most character that was similar to those saints. And then they would celebrate then. But it's that to me seems more of like when you go to a Wiccan ceremony, yes, there's things you're doing for the element or there's things you're doing for the goddess. Whereas in Orisha thing, it's like, oh, we have to make all this particular food for Oshun and we have to play these rhythms and we have to dance these dances and we have to dress up the altar from ceiling to floor. And we have to make sure we've invited all the priests and priestesses of that Orisha in the neighborhood to come and honor them properly. So it's much more elaborate, I think, and it it Mm -hmm. is much more regimented which scares some people, but I always say to those people, yeah, like, I can imagine. you know, it, for me, it's, you get what you put into it. You know, I mean, I could spend five minutes making cakes and ale, or I could spend a week, you know, cooking some special, what is Oshun like? She likes this shin shin, this spinach and shrimp omelet that you have to make. So, you know, I could do that, but it, to me, if I take the time to make that and I have the skill to make that, it's probably going to be more satisfying and I, I'm going to get more of the results that I desire. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, that's a pretty good distinction. Cause I, I've just seen like online a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who I guess associate voodoo with witchcraft and I, cause I don't know too much about it. So I, I'm not sure exactly how you know, how I personally see it. I've, I've always seen them as, you know, being two separate things right. specifically. Um, but then you see people who practice voodoo and sometimes they refer to themselves as witches, which is fine. It's just, it's, for me, it was like a little confusing because I was like, are you a witch? Are you, is this voodoo? Is this just like, I want to pick and choose whatever label I want to be. And um, yeah, plus I think I there's know. been a reclaiming of the word witch lately, especially, you know, yeah. So it's been a reclaiming of the word bruja lately as well. So it's it's interesting mm-hmm. to me to see it play out. I consider myself a witch, but that's because I, I started out practicing what most people would call witchcraft. And I still do spells mm-hmm. and things like that when I need to. But yeah, that's a... Uh... Thank you for, for providing some clarity for that. Thank you for asking. I think it is something that people get <laughs> stuck on, though. You're right, completely. I mean, there's so many labels now. It's It, it can, can get a little, little haywire sometimes. But I think, you know, going back to the other question when... Because, like, I've I've spoken about this before with, with one of my other friends. He just got into Santeria. And, you know, me personally, yes, I have family that has practiced um, Santeria, but, you know, I didn't really grow up with it specifically. And I, I grew up I grew up here in, the, in America. You know, my mom's from New York as well. And 
I was mostly surrounded by Catholicism and, you know, I don't really even know Spanish. And so I feel like I can't really, it's not really my culture to claim, so to speak. Do you feel like, who do who would you say is, I guess, welcomed in the ATR season? I've seen, you know, they're a specific groups of people. I've heard that, you know, specific groups of people shouldn't really be practicing those things because that's not their ancestry or, you know, is it open to everybody? You just have to go through the right channels. I usually recommend if, if it's something that somebody thinks they should do, no matter what race they are, I usually recommend that they go mm-hmm. and get a reading because mm-hmm. everybody knows someone in some house somewhere that's not necessarily born into the culture or born of the race that they think should be practicing it, who actually happens to be in the religion. So I think that mm-hmm. getting the reading is the first step because then you're joining the family, you're, you're being respectful, you know? And, and the problem that I yeah. have is people, maybe they said they had a dream about Oshun or maybe they found, you know, something, a picture of Oshun and it spoke to them, which is lovely. I think that's a beautiful experience, but that's not how this religion is practiced. This religion is practiced by you go and get a reading with somebody who's been doing this for probably 10, 20, 30, 40 years more than you've been interested in it. And you get their advice and and guidance. And if they don't know, they turn around to their teacher who's been doing it for decades and so on. So that's the whole point of the lineage. And that's the whole point of joining a house. So when you get the reading, you know, you find out whether or not you should move forward in the religion. And hopefully it's somebody who's honest. And if that's really what's supposed to happen, then you can move forward in the religion with the person giving you the reading or someone they know, you know, it's, it's, it's not about doing it in a vacuum. And I think that's one of the main differences Mm -hmm. between the ATRs and witchcraft, because you can be a solitary witch, you know, and, and that's okay. And this really isn't a solitary practice, even if, like I said, my godkids are now a thousand miles away, but they're still not solitaries. We still interact with each other and we come together, even if we had to do it through a zoom meeting, you know? Yeah. There's a mentorship where that you get, where you don't get by being just, um, you know, picking up a book. Of course. And and that is so valuable because everybody's going to need something different. You know, we're not all the same. I have one God kid. Actually, I have two God kids that are nurses. Another one wants to be a lawyer. Another one is, you know, uh, has her own thing on the home shopping network. Like everybody's different. They're going to need different kinds of advice and, 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 you know, instruction. So this way, and we're a family that we can all help each other. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a, that's, that's pretty that's essentially what I've been saying to most people who, you know, I've gotten like some questions here and there uh, through the podcast, you know, you know, oh, you know, I had a dream about this deity or, or whatever it may be. And I'm just like, if you really do, you know, feel committed to working with these gods or, or these spirits, you know, go to their origins, figure out, find somebody who does this and, you know, either get guidance from them or, you know, get, learn a little bit more, learn a little bit more about that culture before you just start doing it all on your own and then be wondering every five seconds if you've offended the spirit. Right. Because if you're working with somebody, you'll know whether or not you've offended the spirit and they'll tell you. (laughs) They will definitely tell you. And it could just mean, I mean, I remember doing a reading for 
a woman who was not in the tradition, who felt a very strong connection to Yemaya, who's the Arisha of the ocean and motherhood and very nurturing. And it was really because Mm -hmm. she had been working with a lot of small children and was trying to get a job doing that even more than she already was. And I think, well, that's why you were Mm -hmm. connecting to this energy, this nurturing divine energy. It wasn't you're supposed to rush out and initiate. It's just you're supposed to know that you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're feeling the right energy. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I guess, take that mistakenly. Like, Yes, like at least when um, certain certain of my students, uh, you know, we would either be doing something and they're like, oh, you know, I felt uh, either Odin or, or whatever God that they were working with. And I'd be like, yes, there are some gods that, you know, they may become your patrons or you may become like a devout uh, priest to these deities. And then there are some gods that, that are just around you for the right. time being. You know, you work with them, you learn what you can from them, and then you move on and you go your separate ways. I wasn't aware that that was something that was, I guess, globally accepted within like all all traditions. I thought it was more, at least from my understanding of it, I thought that vo- I had this opinion that voodoo uh, or the spirits that are worked within uh, voodoo and Santeria, that they're a little bit more closed off from everybody else. Like you have to be initiated to work. Well, see, that's, that's where I draw the line. I mean, yes, technically you need to have the beginning it's not even really initiation. It's more like a baptism. But after that, then it's said that you're yeah. seen by the Arisha or the Loa after you've done this ceremony. And, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you still couldn't pick up on it the same way that like, you know, if you walk by a big party, even if you're not invited, you're still going to hear something, you know? So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what's happening there as opposed to, and, and it's a continuous tradition. This is the other thing that I think people forget. You know, if we're yeah. talking about Odin or if we're talking about, you know, Lilith or Hecate or whatever, there is not a continuous tradition. Yes, these are ancient deities, but there's not been a continuous tradition. If we look at the Arisha Shango, there's records that he was around in 2400 BCE. So it's been around for thousands of years and people have never really stopped worshiping this way. So that's very different yeah. than something that was put down for a thousand years and just picked up in the past couple of hundred. Yeah. And that's trying to be recreated. Whereas, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's a nonstop living right. practice. Like even it may have shifted forms um, depending on the culture, depending on the time frame, the area, but it's still that I think that that's what kind of like generates the the living tradition right. part of it, the change. What would be like what some of the main misconceptions about voodoo that you hear a lot about today? Because I know that, you know, before it used to be like, oh, that's just like Satan worship. And I mean, they used to say that about us too. But I guess in the communities that's built up now where, you know, there is more um, information out there, what would you say are some of the misconceptions that you hear about that you feel are incorrect? I or- mean, I think people still talk about things like zombies and voodoo dolls, you know, which, yeah. I mean, yes, and I, I've written about this extensively because people always ask. That there was a formula for making a zombie. It was a social control, really, for some of the rural Haitians who yeah. couldn't necessarily go to the police or whatever. It was a combination of herbs and a local fish related to the puffer fish, and it would make you have paralysis. And then, 
you couldn't really remember what your name is. And then they would, you know, use you as a field hand on the other side of the island. You were talking about DR. So that was what the, the legend was that mm-hmm. they would transport them to, you know, either DR or to the other side of the Haitian portion of the island and make them work in the fields. And that's what you would do if somebody was, you know, a bad person. But somehow it turned into this other thing. Mm-hmm. And dolls, I mean, we were talking about British traditional witchcraft. I mean, dolls are poppets. That's pretty much the first time you see them. In Africa, the only reason they have dolls mm-hmm. is there's dolls in Nigeria because they have a lot of twins. They have the highest incidence of twinning in the world. So if a twin dies, oh really? the other twin will make a doll of that twin. And then that twin is at, you know, family functions and, and spends the life mm-hmm. with the twin that's still alive. Well, that's fascinating. I had no idea that that, yeah, I mean, it would, not that it would make sense, but um, I had a feeling that there was more of an origin between like the puppets and the, and the voodoo dolls than it being an actual voodoo um, practice. Yeah. I mean, you can go, I was in the French quarter last night. You can go into any store and there's a ton of voodoo dolls you can buy in there, but that's again, a brand new invention past maybe hundred years yeah. at the very most. Yes. 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 So those are the two big ones, but then there's also that it's very, it's a negative magic. It's, you know, dark magics. Like you said, mm-hmm. the thing about Satan or all these things. And I think that comes from the fact that it was magic that was done by people that were enslaved for hundreds of years. So if you're enslaved and getting beaten and raped and your kids are taken away from you and your parents are getting whipped, like, of course you're going to have magic that's very strong and probably not that nice because what's happening to you is not nice at all. Yeah. You know, and then it gets, you know, connected to the term black magic with the term itself is it denotes a sort of imagery that, you know, this is bad, this is evil when you know it's just a color association um so yeah that's always that's always been around and i think that's still around to this day you know people try to like you know say that oh like voodoo and and something yeah that's black magic and then but like wicca or something along the lines of wicca uh or like hellenism that's all like white magic like they both are you know can be as aggressive or as healing and as beautiful as each other. So I don't, I don't, I've never at least understood that differentiation. Is it just because like most Wiccans are white that they get white magic? I, I, it, yeah. That's what it, I think it is. Nonsense. You know, we've got a long history of things being black or dark being evil. Yeah. When I was growing up, my mother used to change every time it was like, there was a big black thing in the closet. She'd change it to, there was a big white thing in the closet and it just, <laughs> it really changed how I, I understood the world when I was growing up, you know, all those fairy tales and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It really shifted it for me. Now, would you say that, um, that voodoo has become more mainstream than it was prior Definitely. or? I mean, before you were saying that it has gotten, you know, now it's in the New York Times that they're, it's being celebrated. Um, but it's just like, oh, like this is like a pocket situation where we're going to choose to like 
give him a bone, so to speak. We're gonna we're gonna celebrate this thing, or do you feel like it's become more of a an acceptable? Religion? No, I think it it has become more of an acceptable religion. I feel like I can say it to somebody now without them getting all nervous and afraid. And and mm-hmm. you know, I'm so happy I live down here in New Orleans because I always said I wanted to go to the emergency room and tell somebody my religion was voodoo, and and they didn't say anything. So that finally happened after I moved here. <laughs> I'm okay. I got bit by an ant, but I told them that I was voodoo and they just wrote it down in a little box and went on. But that's something that I think that, you know, voodoo is always the joke. People make jokes about the dolls and people make jokes about, you know, pins and and all of zombies and all of this stuff and, and the sexualization of it. And it just gets so demonized and I sort mm-hmm. of spent my whole life trying to change that. And it, it took until now yeah. that it's not automatically something that people think all those terrible things about. So that has mm-hmm. really changed. And we definitely do see a positive side as well. You know? Yeah, yeah there's, there's for sure some hope for the future in, in the broadening of people's minds and the openness um, to people just accepting the different and variety of magical traditions or religions that are out there and they're not being so homogenous, I guess would be right. a good word. Yeah, I think that is a good word. Now, what would you, you, the, your book that you just re-released, was there, did you anything, did you feel like there was anything you needed to add compared to when it came out in, in Oh yeah, definitely. I, I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was just, you know, I, I had a publisher <laughs> willing to reprint it and I thought I was just going to bim, bam, you know, I set my second deadline for over the holiday season, which is the dumbest thing I've ever done twice in a row. And <laughs> I'm never going to do that again, hopefully. Was it with the same book the last time it came out? My water magic book came out. Yes. Oh, the yes. Water magic and book. then this book, also my deadline for that was over the holidays this past year. So I had two Christmases where I was just locked away writing and very sad and angry. But uh, oh. So, no, there was a lot. I realized when I opened it up again, there was so much that had changed. There was so much more. You know, you're talking about the openness of the tradition, and I really wanted to include all the wonderful people I've been working with in the past 15 plus mm-hmm. years, not just spiritually, but people like Rivaneri Priso, who I mentioned, my friend Regine Romain did an amazing documentary called From Brooklyn to Benin that they just wrote up in BBC, I think this week. So stuff like that, that I just oh, cool. I find fascinating. I just find so fascinating because again, these are, you know, black women like me from Brooklyn talking about these things Mm -hmm. that nobody, we've been talking about them for a long time, but nobody really wanted to listen until now. So that I had to update it with all of that and all the wonderful things there. And then I did add a whole separate chapter for protests and protection, you know, out there on the front lines, I added a, Mm -hmm sort of spell and honoring chapter that deals with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and keeping yourself safe on the front lines of the Black Lives Matter movement, which I thought was very important to add to it. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. I definitely can't wait to read that part. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like, um, you know, since it did come out in in 2005, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but do you feel like you had to make it more tame for it to be able to sell? Or like, do you feel like you, like in the environment now that you were able to 
write or flesh out more ideas than than you would had it been 2000 or when it, the, book, the book originally came out in 2000. I definitely think it was more restricted originally. It was, you know, people had pushed me to write it. It was my first book. I was going to answer every dumb question I'd ever been asked so that when people <laughs> ask me dumb questions again, I could just go read the book and not have to answer them over and over again. <laughs> we don't have zombies. But that didn't happen. I realized, you know, whatever, I did still have to answer them. And unfortunately, it went out of print almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And I had a traditional publisher and they asked even dumber questions than the ones I thought I was trying to answer. So that was very hard. And I think I have more freedom now because, you know, I have had four more books since then. And I've been with lots of different publishers. And I think that now I don't hold back at all about anything. You know, I had a good friend of mine who's a Mm -hmm. witchcraft author and he's written, I don't know, probably about 14, 15 books. And he said to me, once you sign the contract, you can write whatever you want. And that was like very freeing. I mean, technically they can still cancel you if you don't write what you said the book was going to be about. But just the fact that he'd written 14 books and this was his attitude just made me feel so much better. It was like, hey, I can put whatever I want to put in here. You know, I can talk about Babalu Ie and Ricky mm-hmm. Ricardo. I can talk about, you know, all these things that I would have thought was too weird or strange to go in a book. And now that I'm grown, I just don't, you know, whatever. IDGAF anymore. That's it. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> now, this new book was published by uh, yes, Warlock, Warlock Press. Press. Hmm. Did um, were your other books also published through them as well, or, or no? They just had a deal with me for doing the reprint. Technically, I'm still under contract mm. to Llewellyn, and my other best-selling mm. book last year, Arisha's Goddesses and Voodoo Queens, was published by Wiser. Which there's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's there was issues, and I'm happy that each one ended up going where it did, but. I did have author friends of mine calling me and going, oh my God, you jumped the shark. You actually have four different publishers. But, you know, hey, as long as I can still write and I can get it out there and I can get paid, it's lovely. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. I mean, do you feel like, was there a reason that you went with the different publishers or? I mean, Wiser had published my, and I can say this because pretty much common knowledge, they, I had been trying to get more African titles with them for a long time. And yeah. the Love Magic book that I wrote for them, that was their idea and it didn't really do very well. And then the Arisha's book that I did, did do really, really well. And I was happy about that. But then Llewellyn had approached me specifically to write the Water Magic book as part of a series because I mm-hmm. knew the editor Heather Green, and she really wanted to work with me. So that just seemed like, oh, wait a minute, you already have a project, you have one that I'm really intrigued about and excited by, and I've always kind of wanted to work with them anyway. So it just sort of worked out. That's awesome. I mean, I definitely think that there should be more of, uh, you know, POC voices being published, because I've more seen, you know, people who are not publishing, you know, things on specific traditions that that they're not necessarily either a part of, like they're just talking about it like vaguely. And then, you know, that's the information that gets put out there. So I think it's awesome to see more POC voices being written and being represented um, by different sorts of publications. Definitely. I think it's, I think it's very important. You know, I, I wrote this book originally the first time in 2004 because I wanted there to be 
black female voices that were out there that yeah. my daughter could read about, you know, and, and when she was in college, one of her professors brought the book to her and went, is this your mom? And she was like, yes. And I was like, yay. Achievement oh, awesome. yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was nice. It was nice to be able to provide that, you know, I mean, and I did, have an academic background. I got my master's degree in anthro, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and that's something I see lacking too. You know, I want somebody to be a practitioner when they're writing it, but I also want them to be a scholar. And even when yeah. I do see people writing, it's like, Oh, I got a junior college degree in accounting. I'm like, well, that's nice, sweetheart. But I, <laughs> what does this have to do with magic? I don't know. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> you do you. that definitely happens. I too. Know. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any um, sort of advice that you would give to somebody that's uh, looking or interested in in getting more information about voodoo? About voodoo, I know there's your book that you said that just came out on yes Tuesday. On Tuesday. It's Voodoo and African Traditional Religion, and yeah, you can get it from Warlock Press, but there's a ton of places you can get it online too. So. But that's a really good guide, like I said, for a beginner, for people that just have questions. Maybe you're interested, mm -hmm. but you don't know exactly even which one of the ATRs you want to study. And I think that it does mm -hmm. a good job of explaining, okay, this is what happens in Ifa. This is what happens, you know, in Haitian Vodou. This is what happens in New Orleans Vodou. So you can see the differences and see where you might want to go yeah. and learn more. So it's good for those kinds kinds of things. I always recommend getting a reading. I think that's very helpful. I'm, I'm very reading heavy. And uh, I think that helps not just to give an introduction to you and some of the practices, but also to find out what you need to know in your life. You know, maybe mm -hmm. you're so focused on getting initiated. My Santo Godmother used to say she wouldn't initiate anybody until they absolutely didn't want it, which I now that I'm this age, I see the wisdom in it, you know, because it really is a responsibility yeah. and it's not necessarily all that it's cracked up to be, unfortunately, you know. Mm -hmm. um, is there any places that you would say, um, I guess that can provide more resources for somebody who did want to get a reading or is it more of like a local community um Thing, well, that's a really I, good is question. That that's, that's a really good question. I, I often get people who email me and are like, do you know any IFA houses in downtown Albuquerque? You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I wish that, <laughs> that was, you know, what was up. That would be great if I had some gigantic directory yeah. and I could just point anybody and and other than telling people they could call me and get a reading, I don't have a gigantic mm -hmm. directory. But you're right. A lot of times it is a community thing because if you do join a spiritual house, either an Ile or, or a home for, depending on what tradition you're in, you will probably have to go mm -hmm. there for feast days and initiations and a couple of times yeah. a year. So it's nice that if it's, you know, maybe an hour away or maybe two hours away. And I can tell you right now, most of the large cities anywhere in the entire world probably have a botanica in them. That's It's pretty much spread out. Yeah. I did an interview with somebody from Mexico City. They've got a ton of them there. I've, you know, they have them all over the place. So, you know, it's a good place to start if you do want to get involved in the local community. Even if you just want to find out about it, you know, go into one, buy a candle, see yeah. what's going on in there, you know. Just make yourself known. 
speaking of, and I, I don't know if you would have any sort of uh, information on this, but I've always felt it was a little, it's been a little weird because um, most of my magical practice has been centered around like Wicca and witchcraft. And whenever I've gone into a botanica uh, or the variety of uh, stores that are like that, I can always feel like there's like a presence like watching me the entire time. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you no, ever felt I have. that it's in intense. It's intense, and and I I remember going once and I felt that, and then I was asking for something that somebody mm-hmm. had told me I needed to pick up, and they started like laughing at me, and the statue started like falling off the shelves and hitting them over the head. <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, enough of this. But I, I think that it does have heavy energy. You know, sometimes it's the energy of yeah. whoever's running it. Sometimes it's the energy of whatever ceremonies went on there. You know, but you said you have a connection to it from your family line. So that can feel heavy as well. You mm-hmm. know, that can, can be a pull. Yeah, I just always thought it was interesting because like every other one that I've been to, I've kind of felt that way. And but there was one where because I used to live down in Miami, and my um, my high priestess she knew the owner of the local botanica that was right around the street from her house, and that's the only one that I've ever been been to. Even though like the owner didn't know me or know any of my um, my coven brothers or sisters, whenever we would go there, but none of us ever felt that in that specific oh, nice. one. And I've always thought that was super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them it's are like, okay, you're cool. not fantastic. Let's just put it that way. You know, you're not supposed yeah. to say anything not yeah. nice in the religion. So I'm just going to say some of them are not fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot a lot of it. What does my priestess down here say? She would tell me about some of the people who'd set up shop in New Orleans. She'd be like, these people are crazy. They can't make a living any other way. <laughs> <laughs> very fair. It's true. It's, uh, true. <laughs> it's very true, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's everywhere. There's always going to be somebody trying to pander or sell some sort of snake oil. Oh, sadly. definitely, definitely. You know, because as as you know, there's there's the real thing, and sometimes the real thing can be so elusive, especially when you're starting out. That telling, you know, figuring out mm-hmm. what's real and what isn't is hard. Fortunately, it's easier now yeah. because you know, as much as there's ridiculous, demented, you know, fights and gatekeeping on the internet, I think that there are some people that really were toxic that have been, you know, exposed under the circumstances, and that's yeah. nice. Yeah. For sure. All righty, Lilith. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us today on my revival of my podcast because it's been months since I put out an episode. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Pandemic has made me a little lazy. Thank you again for, for coming on. It's been a beautiful talk, and I can't wait to check out your new book and, and see all the fun things that you've added yeah, in Yeah, thank you so much. It was a joy. People can get a hold of me on my website, LilithDorsey.com, and this was great. Thank you. Thank you.